0: Before we begin, I just want to say, wow. That was amazing. Thank you for that that offering of music. In the Episcopal tradition, whenever we begin with prayer, we say, The Lord be with you. And the response is, And also with you. So let's begin that way. The Lord be with with you. Let us pray. At times, O Lord, it seems as if you have taken leave of us. We can't say that we blame you. We have turned your world into a place where the fastest growing businesses are prisons, temp work, and gambling. Yet we cry with the psalmist of old, How long, O Lord, how long? Do not hide your face from us. May we praise you in our desert times, believing in your word incarnate. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our times are in your hands. As the seasons of fall bursts upon us, shelter us within the crevices of your heart, as the shadows choke the love and light right out of our lives. May we be counted as those who paved the way for the reign of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to tell you that I think it is a tremendous honor to be back here at my alma mater and to be with you and to share a few words of the good news of God and Christ with you this morning. My thanks extends not only to Pastor Scott who invited me to be with you, but with my son, Jonathan, who is here this morning a senior at CLU, his mother and I have so few chances to be able to actually spend time with him, so it's good to see him as well. In one sense, I must tell you that being here feels almost surreal. Uh, when, I attended chapel, when I attended campus here, uh, things were a little bit different physically. The little theater is gone. The days of meeting uh, for chapel in what was called New Earth office is gone. <laughs> uh, walks on a barren field on the other side of campus now houses a sports complex and it too is gone. All of it. Such tremendous growth and what I pray is that just as uh, it is and I, I pray that that this university continues to grow in those ways Like people, university campuses have souls and change and grow. And I find within myself, just like I find it hard to believe that this campus has changed, I find it hard to know that my children have changed. Just the other day, I was reflecting on how Jonathan's younger brother, Joshua, who is all of 12 years old, was just the other day turning to me and crying out for some parental help. You all know this kind of story. My son was in the bathroom, and I heard the cry, Daddy, I need you to come. Come quick. And what had happened was is that his toothbrush had dropped in the toilet. (laughs) And so I had the responsibility of fishing that thing out. And I took it, and I threw it into the uh, trash can. And he said, what are you doing? Aren't you going to rinse it, rinse it off and use it again? I said, no, son, that's gross. <laughs> and then I could see the little wheels in his head turning around. And I, he, he runs out of the bathroom. And apparently he goes into my bathroom and he comes back with my toothbrush. And he says to me, Daddy, we need to throw this one away too. It fell into the toilet a few weeks ago. He's lucky to be 12. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Children grow, campuses grow, and it may sound like an awful duh to all of you. The spiritual component of growth cannot be missed. The rhythm and nature of God's Spirit is not only to plant and to tend and to nurture, but to cause transformation, not only in you and I, but for this world. God's purposes will not be thwarted. It is the, um, oh gosh, it's gone right out of my head. There is um, the, the, the Society of Friends, the Quakers say that if something is of God, it will not be stopped. Growth is about action and the power of God, and not only for the individual, as I said, but for, indeed, the life of the world as God has intended it. And the the place where it most affects you is that God has an intention to use your life in such ways in which to transform not just yourselves, but this world. Let me give you an example out of the life of someone who you may have read... If you've read about this person, don't fall asleep on me. I want you to know this this past winter I was skiing at Mount Bachelor, and I ran into another Episcopalian who was a doctor, and we were talking uh, church talk, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he he said to me, you know, I'm studying about sleep. And he said one of the things we discovered about sleep is that um, if a person is asleep and you give them a power of suggestion when they're sleeping. If it's bad, you know, bad things roll around inside them. If you give them something good, it rolls around inside them. So, if you fall asleep during this homily, I want you to know you're not escaping. You're here. You're listening to what I'm saying to you. The example is about someone who, even though, though they, they don't verbally confess anything about Jesus, the injunction to love Neighbors themselves and the transform God's transformation in their lives is fantastic. You would do no better probably than to look at the life of Greg Mortison. But you probably would have to look in very high altitude place. Mortison was born in 1957, and he joined the U.S. Army as a young man. He was trained as a medical corpsman, and part of his work was to uh, to go along on adventures. And it, this caught, got caught up in his passion of doing high-altitude climbing, and so he would go along with high-altitude teams, and they'd have him as a tag-along because this guy had medical skills, and you always need those skills when you do high-altitude climbing. In 1993, he was a part of a team that went to K2. Now, K2 is just a little bit lower than... Um, a little bit lower than the highest peak in the world. But you should know that it is known as the Savage Peak due to the difficulty of its climbing. For every four people who climb K2, one person dies trying to get there. All climbers want to get to the top of the mountain and they want to tackle But Mortis' case, he had a very intentional reason for doing it. His, his sister, Krista, had... Had, who was 23 years old, had died from a massive seizure from epilepsy. and He was dedicating this thing to the, the conquering of this mountain for, for her. And what happened with him was even more lasting results. It was the impetus that God had planted in his life. And it became so much more. Well, here he is on this mountain. And it's 78 days up there. And He is 600 meters from the top and he just can't do it. He's got mountain sickness. He is tired. And he has to have a local guide to help him back down. And as he's being helped back down, he gets separated from the guide. And believe it or not, he ends up in a village in Pakistan called Korfe. And too sick to go on, he has to be nurtured are the people of this village. Now, you should know that the people who live in this village are the Balti. And these people, well, you, you hear about the various tribes who live there, but the Balti are, are Buddhist and they live in very harsh, uh, very harsh reality. The infant mortality rate of those who, who have children there. Children born at the age of 12 months have a, have a 35% mortality rate, primarily due to things that you and I would take for granted. Diarrhea-induced dehydration, most likely. But the brutal, and during the brutal winters, the villagers retreat into a tiny basement dugout and spend six months huddled together, barely keeping warm, and, and, and they light fires with, da- with yak dung. But the children who do survive, there is no school. And Corfe Mortison saw 82 kids trying to do their school lessons by writing out their lessons in the snow. And as they nurtured him back to health, he decided that he needed to do something about the education of these young people in this school. And so when he's nurtured back to health, he goes back to California, and he begins to write. And he writes all kinds of people. He writes celebrities, he writes friends, he writes anybody who we can think of. And guess what? It fails. So it is with growth, isn't it? We always have failure. And in the reign of God, failure is okay. But he fails. Trying to raise money for this school. And what happens over time is that somebody reads in a climbing magazine about how Mortensen, what he's trying to do, and and sure enough, they give him the money to be able to build this school. And so he gets the money, he purchases the building material, he rides in the trunk of a vehicle to be able to try to get the supplies to where they go, and he has all kinds of difficulties trying to get these materials to where they're supposed to go. He fends off tribal chieftains who are trying to steal the supplies for their own needs and shuttle them off for their own uses. And then there's a rock slide that blocks the materials from getting to where they need to go. And it is the people of the village who he's trying to help who are the ones who actually come up with a solution. They're used to carrying heavy burdens for mountain climbers. And they go and they pick up these items, and they carry them. And in one of the pictures in the book, you note that there is on the countenance of those who are carrying these burdens a smile on their face. During this ordeal, the Balti and other Pakistanis become convinced that Mortensen had no ulterior motives and had only come to do good. And after Morderson's school was built and his promise kept, he returned to the States but continued to be haunted by the needs he had seen in the mountain villages. You see, the way God works in our lives is similar to what we find in the Corinthian passage. God plants an idea and eventually it becomes passion. And, it, and it, it seems like a crazy idea. How is it that we are able to do the impossible? But let me remind you, Jesus says of himself that he is a way maker. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. God is able to make a way out of no way. So that these crazy dreams that God plants in your heart and your soul, God is faithful enough to be able to make them grow. To make a way out of no way. I am pleased to tell you Mortison has continued with his work. He has established 78 schools in rural and volatile areas of that country, and not just Pakistan, but also Afghanistan. He has not only constructed the buildings, but paid for teachers and learning materials, too. And those schools provide education for more than 28,000 children, including... 18,000 girls, and you should know that in that region, it is frowned upon for women and girls to have an education. And the most distinct thing of all about this is that Morderson hasn't profited from this financially at all. He draws a salary, but it is, it's small. And he has continued to have his series of troubles. He has had death threats. He has been harassed by the CIA. He has had people angry at him because he dared to do education to Muslims. But by his dogged efforts, his selfless actions, and his willingness to meet people where they are without trying to impose on them some kind of agenda, Morrison has gained the trust of Islamic leaders and government officials and military commanders and tribal chiefs in both Pakistan and Afghanistan, and they see him as a humble hero. For those of you who are wondering, Morrison's book is called Three Cups of Tea, and it comes from the Balti tradition of saying when you have the first cup of you are a stranger. When you have the second cup, you are an honored guest. And when you have the third cup, you are family. And I want you to know that Mortison has drank an awful lot of cups of tea in an awful lot of small villages. When we look at his life, we think about the fact that that kind of growth requires following God into some rather uncomfortable places. It is about denying oneself and following God, focusing on Jesus, remaining humble and dependent on God's power, not playing games of competitiveness or one-upmanship or glory grasping, but choosing the role of least of all, of servant of all. It's not a very exciting job description but the gospel has a price, but the wages are incredible. How much would you pay to have joy that could not be stolen from you? How much would you pay to have peace that cannot be rocked by the change in the stock market or change in the economic environment? How much would you pay to have love? that is enduring, that will never leave you, that will never forsake you. That's the kind of growth I certainly want. And that's the kind of growth that God is offering. Morrison discovered that the cup of God's growth is often filled with humble tea. And he needed to drink of the life experience of those people he was with and not sip from private stock. Only in that way could he host and and be only that way could he be hosted and also be servant. At St. Clair's Episcopal Church, we, we have a prayer. And I want to end with this prayer. And I want you to repeat after me. The prayer goes like this. The service I give, the service I give. Is, the I is the rent I pay for the life God has given to me. Now let's say it like we made it. Repeat after me, please. The service I give is is the rent I pay for the life God has given to me. And all God's people said, Amen.